Welcome to the Redemption Hill Sermon Podcast. For more information, feel free to visit our website, redemptionshill.com. Okay, so right off the bat, I'm going to ask you for some grace. If I keep adjusting the microphone and it makes some really annoying noises, just be okay with that. TJ and I have different sizes of heads, and I'm just going to let you guess whose head is bigger. It's not mine. It's not mine. TJ has a bigger head than mine. You do with that whatever you want to do with that in your own discussions throughout the week. But we're not going to focus on that. Uh, Normally, I wouldn't start by talking about myself at the beginning of a message. But since this is my first time speaking here, I thought, uh, you know, it may be appropriate just to let a few of you in a little bit as to who I am. Um, I do know most of you, but quite frankly, there are some of you I do not, and there are probably people listening, um, hopefully listening, um, online who I do not know. Um, and so uh, my name is Clayton. Um, I have uh, been a believer for, um, well, right around 14 years, I guess, is how long I've been following the Lord. You might say, well, wait, wait a minute, what do you, what do you mean, kind of? What? I grew up in the church. I'm very, very thankful for that. The Lord laid a very strong foundation of the gospel message in my life. I definitely engaged with some things of the Lord early on, but really it wasn't until I went to college that it started to mean something different to me in my life, that I really made the Lord the Lord of my life. We can talk about that a little bit more later, um, but to save on time, let's go ahead and move forward. After college, my family and I moved to Fayette where we ran a ministry for 11 years uh, with a organization called The Navigators, and I was a pastor, an associate pastor, of a church at, uh, in Fayette called Faith Family Church. Um, after that, about a year ago, my family and I moved here to Columbia, and I now am a full-time web developer over at Zimmer Communications, um, and... Um, we are loving life. I have two daughters. Um, one is age 10. Her name is Zoe. She is pretty awesome and creative and spunky and does a lot of different awesome things. Uh, I have another little one, uh, age four. Her name is Eleanor. You've probably seen her bopping around here a little bit, playing. Um, and then I have a beautiful wife who's Uh, A woman of valor, as it says in Proverbs, Um, her worth is worth far more than rubies. And she uh, is just such a godly woman. She pushes me to be the man of God that I am supposed to be. Um, She is a gifted equipper and trainer uh, of people in the Lord. And I know that God is going to give her an opportunity to use her giftings here. So that's enough about me, but I did want to just let you a little bit into who I am. As TJ said, we've been coming here for about a year, um, and I'm really excited to be able to present the Word of God to you for the first time from the pulpit. Now, let's go ahead and dive in. If you recall, over the past four weeks, we have been in the book of Nehemiah. It's a book that is, fittingly, Uh, about a man named Nehemiah Um, and his mission that God gave him to rebuild the wall around the city of Jerusalem in order to protect the Jews worshiping at the temple. All right, if you are not familiar with where this comes in the history of the Bible and the story of the Jewish people, this comes about 140 years after the Babylonian exile, which is basically where God uh, poured out 
judgment on the Jewish people for a lot of wrongs that they had done over a long time to bring correction. He did it out of love for them to bring correction. And now Nehemiah and some people before him named Ezra, Zerubbabel, which is a really hard name to say, have went back to Jerusalem and they have started to finally rebuild the temple and they've received a lot of favor from the Lord. We talked a lot about that in these first four weeks about how um, now that Nehemiah is going back to build the wall, the Lord has shown him favor with the king of Persia. He's shown him favor with the people of Jerusalem who are joining him in this mission. Last week we talked about how everybody, or at least almost everybody, put their hands to work right away and they went after it and they all worked as one body and the wall started to come up and they were working together as one people. And this is a beautiful picture of the church and that's kind of where we left things last week. Now we also met a couple other people along the way that gave a little bit of opposition. All right, a guy by the name of Sanballat, a guy by the name of Tobiah, And we're going to talk about them a little bit today, but let's go ahead and dive into the text. It comes out of Nehemiah chapter 4, all right? And we're not going to go through the entirety of the scripture today, uh, of the entirety of the chapter, that is. Uh, But uh, we will do a big chunk of it. So what we're going to do is we're going to read a little bit, going to unpack that, move on, okay? So let's start in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. And we see that it says, now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Okay. Um, And uh, basically, I kind of lost my spot here because I was reading off the back there. Uh, Sorry. Let's keep going. Uh, Will they restore for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and be burned and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. And so now we come to a really interesting part of the text where we see Nehemiah uh, respond. Um, And it's kind of odd if you're reading this for the first time because it doesn't really say, at least not in the ESV, and Nehemiah responded. But really what we see here is Nehemiah, as he's writing, he just kind of breaks out into the spontaneous prayer. And here's what he says. He says, hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Now I wanna pause here. So let's simply take a step back and let's remind ourselves who Sanballat is. He is the main sort of antagonist of this, of this book, all right? So he's, he's the one who set himself up against Nehemiah. Now we see him for the first time back in chapter two, and all we really hear about him and his buddies there is that they were angry when they heard that someone was coming back to rebuild the wall. They were angry, but because of some of the politics and things involved, they didn't really do anything about it. They just kind of stewed over it and 
complained a bit, but they didn't take any actual action. They most likely assumed that really nothing was going to come of it. Um, and uh, so they just kind of let it go. Now, Nehemiah's response to their jeering, which is what we see in the first couple verses here of, of this chapter, Nehemiah's response to their jeering is a little bit overboard. A little bit overboard, in my opinion. If we see there in verse 4, Nehemiah literally is asking God to not forgive their sins. Now, we're going to come back to that, and, and I want to point out two things about this. The first thing is, Nehemiah does something actually really good. Whenever he's first mocked, whenever he is, whenever he's made fun of, whenever these, these guys are kind of somewhat threatening um, and, and really like just questioning whether this can be done, he first and foremost goes to the Lord. Okay, that's what we see. And that's good. That's great. And as a matter of fact, not only does he go to the Lord, but he doesn't really hold anything back. He goes to the Lord with how he actually feels. And there's a lesson for us in that, and that's really good. Even though what he has to say is fairly ugly, and we're going to touch on that in just a minute, and not even correct, not even good theology, that doesn't prevent him from going to God with it. And, and there's, that's okay. I just want to, I want to let you know that. There are times whenever you don't have the correct theological response. There are times whenever your heart is not in the right spot. And God does not say, you can't come to me. God doesn't say, you can't bring that to me. It is okay. It is okay. As ugly as it sounds, and hopefully this isn't your whole life, but as ugly as it sounds, it is okay to say, God, I hate that person. I don't know how I feel about this. You can bring that to the Lord. He's, he's a big boy God. He can handle it. He's probably not going to leave you there. He's probably going to correct you, but you can come to him even whenever your heart isn't right. Now, let's address what is actually kind of wrong with Nehemiah's heart here. Look, just because Nehemiah is the good guy, that doesn't mean he's always right. Just because he is the protagonist of this story doesn't mean that we can always look at what Nehemiah did as an example of what we should do. This isn't the heart of God. This prayer is not reflective of what we know God's heart to be. Because we know what? That God desires mercy over judgment. That he desires repentance over condemnation. We know that because 400 years after this story, Jesus comes on the scene. A lot of things are going on here. So Sanballat is in charge of a group of people called the Samaritans. And if you're not real familiar with your, with your biblical history, here's what you need to know. The Jews hated, like as in all capital letters, multiple exclamation points behind it. The Jews hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans hated the Jews for multiple reasons. Some of it was theological. Some of it was cultural. Some of it was, quite frankly, racist. Racist hate being spewed between the two. But they absolutely despised one another. 
That is the background setting for this. However, 400 years later when Jesus comes on the scene as a Jew, we see him move towards the Samaritan, starting at the well in uh, Samaria where he talks to a Samaritan woman. And we see that his heart is for all of them to be made right with God. So, what does that mean for the rest of our text today? What does that mean for our story? Do we just throw all the rest of it out? Nehemiah has nothing to offer us because he was wrong and his heart was wrong in this scenario. No. No. That's, that's not what we're going to do. See, Nehemiah's story here, it is a fantastic illustration for us of some leadership skills and of some ways in which God works that God hasn't stopped working. Okay, And we also have to remember that while Nehemiah's reaction and response to this jeering isn't necessarily perfect, what we do know is this. Nehemiah is doing this work for God's glory. And these are people that are coming in opposition to God's work. It's not wrong for him to be a little upset about that. It's not wrong for him to say, God, stop that. Stop them. Don't let them stop your work. That's okay. That's good. So, so Nehemiah's zeal for God's work is a good thing. It's a good thing. And we're going to focus on that. We're going to focus how he uses some of that. But we have to remember this. The ultimate goal, the ultimate mission of God is to see believers is to see people become believers in what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. For some reason that goes beyond me, God chose you and me to help carry out this work. I'm not really sure why. Whenever I look at myself, I think, what in the world do I have to offer? But God sees me differently, and he sees you differently and if he can use a bunch of, as TJ said last week, perfumers to go and build a stone wall, then he can use a web developer to go preach the gospel. He can use a banker. He can use an accountant or a nurse. He can use an insurance salesman. He can use school teachers. He chose you and I to be part of this mission of the gospel work. Oh. That is incredible. So what we're going to do now is we're going to read on and see what we can glean from Nehemiah. What wisdom can we pull out of this that helps us in our work of the gospel? Sorry about this microphone. It's a little scratchy. I know that. Let's go ahead and continue on. Let's go to verse 6. So we've got this mocking happening. We've got all of these things um, coming at Nehemiah, but they're pretty much just verbal, like threats and jeering and mocking. So how does he respond? Well, here's what we see in verse six. So we built the wall and the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. Nehemiah prayed, he gave it to God and he went back to work. Why? Because there was no actual threat. So what? These guys are talking bad about me. They're mocking me. They're scoffing me. Is that really in the long run doing anything? 
You know, sometimes I think we get a little too distracted by people outside of the church, sometimes even inside of the church, talking bad about us, mocking us, scoffing, not understanding the mission that God has put us on, the mission to take the message of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. And we let that pull us into an argument. What if Nehemiah would have said, oh, oh, these kings, they're, they're coming. Well, here, let me just go back at them and argue with them all the time. And you know what? We're going to start this PR campaign, and we're going to show what's wrong with them and all these other stuff. What if he had done that? Well, the work on the wall would have stopped because now we're focusing on this over here the whole time. And guess what? Then Sambalot would have won, Right? They would have achieved their mission without ever having to do anything other than say a few nasty words. I wonder what would have happened if Jesus would have been so easily distracted. I mean, certainly a lot of people said some pretty nasty things about him. And he could have gotten a back and forth with the Pharisees about how wrong they were and all this other stuff. But what did he continue to do? He continued to go throughout the countryside preaching the forgiveness of sins and that salvation had come through Jesus Christ, through him, that the Lord, the time of the year, the Lord's favor was upon them. He kept preaching the good news and he kept at the work. And the gospel went forward just like the wall came up. I wonder, I wonder, and I'm going to let you be the judge for yourself. Or better yet, why don't you go to the Lord and ask him? Because I have to ask him for myself a lot of times. I wonder how many times I've missed gospel sharing opportunities because I've been way too worried about the way that people would see me, talk about me, because of mocking and jeering Sometimes I even allow that mocking and jeering to build up bitterness in my heart. And if I'm honest, I may not even really desire for that person to come to know the gospel and to come to be saved. I wonder how many times I've let that distract me. How many people could have heard the gospel if I weren't so easily distracted, if my mind were focused on the work that God has given us? Now, I want to I stop there for a minute. I want to talk about this work. When I use the word work, man, that word has so many connotations with, this, with it. Sometimes we see work as a bad thing. Sometimes in our culture we see work as the only thing. <laughs> we exist to work. And that can be tiring. And that can be overwhelming. And that's not the gospel message. I mean, Jesus says, literally, come and rest. Come and rest. You're not here to work for your salvation. Right? So when I say that word, work, when I say the mission of God and that we get to work, that's exactly what I mean. We get to work. We're going to come back to that in just a little bit. But we get to work alongside God. It is not a burdensome work. It is a joy filled work. We get to be a part of it. 
we get to be a part of it. So what we can heed from Nehemiah here is that we shouldn't get distracted whenever people are just mocking us. Just keep going. Just keep going. There's no actual threat there. They're just talking. Keep going. So what do we do when there is actual threat? Because we do know that that does happen. What what do I mean by that? Well, let's read here. Let's keep going. Verses 7 uh, through 12 here. But when Sambalot and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashadites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. Now, this is like the third time by my count that they've been very angry. The first two times, they didn't really do much. But this time, and they plotted. They took actual action together to come and fight against Jerusalem and cause confusion in it. So there's this vast plot that we see them now actually coming up with. They're they're actually taking action. They're saying, look, we're so angry, now we're going to present an actual danger, an actual threat to the work. And we prayed. This This is now Nehemiah here. What's he do? Again, he prays. Are you guys seeing a pattern? I'm seeing a pattern. He prays, he prays, he prays, he prays, he prays, he prays, he prays. He takes action and he prays. They pray to our God and then they set a guard as a protection against them day and night. So they took actual action. Nehemiah said, hey, okay, this time this is a real threat. We're going to pray. We're going to ask God's favor. We're going to set up a few precautions. Now in Judah, it was said, so this is amongst the Jews. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to build the wall. And then our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come along them and kill them and stop the work. Now at that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. All right, so let's break this down. We've got three different groups of people here. We've got the people in Judah. Now, this was most likely the Jews. I suppose it is possible that there were some enemies who had infiltrated, some Samaritans who had infiltrated and maybe were spreading around some of this uh, dissension. It's possible that was happening. But what the text tells us is in Judah, it was said. So let's assume that these are the Jews. Hey, man, we are getting tired. (sighs) And now we've got these people who are plotting against us. And they're going to like come try to kill us. And I am just stacking stones upon stones upon stones. And now I got to worry about this. (sighs) We're not going to be able to do this. And they're getting discouraged. And they're getting overwhelmed. And then we've got the enemies. We've got Sambalot and Samaritans saying, hey, we're going to come upon them. They're not even going to be expecting it. And we are going to destroy them. And then we got Jews who live outside of Jerusalem we got Jews who live outside of Jerusalem, and they're coming in, and they are saying, okay, look, guys, when you first came to do this work, it was whatever, you know, it was good. Go ahead and do it. But now it's getting real. You've got these people outside of here. They're pretty powerful, and they're coming to kill you. And more importantly, we are in between you and them, so that means they're going to be coming through us. And, and we don't really want to fight. And so we need you to come home now. We need you to stop building this wall. 
we need you to come home now because otherwise we're going to be in a lot of trouble. So just, just forget about the wall and, and come to us. And they did this 10 times. So they were like really adamant about this. Please stop building the wall. Please stop building it. Please stop the work and just come and so we can all be safe. So we can all be safe. So that's what's happening here. That's what's happening here. Now, I told you a little bit ago that my wife and I, we led a campus ministry for 11 years over in Fayette. And I could draw uh, almost a direct correlation between all three of those different things that were going on and, 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 and things that happened to us at different times in a ministry. But you could, you could categorize them all in, in this one little thing. Anytime, anytime you engage in the work of the Lord, you will face opposition. You will face opposition from without, Samaritans and Sanballat in this case, and from within, the own Jewish people who are overwhelmed and tired. That opposition will come from without and within. And when that opposition comes, the temptation comes to stop the work and address the opposition. Now, Nehemiah didn't just say, oh, well, I know there's a plot to kill us, uh, but we're just going to keep building the wall. Don't worry about it. No. He used a little bit of wisdom. He took some precautions. Over the next 11 verses, which I'm not going to subject you to, he lays out in great detail the precautions that they took. And there's a lot of good stuff there. You should take a look at that. I would encourage you to on your own time, see if there's any correlations with what you see in your own life today. But basically, it's this. He set up some precautions that required three things of the people. Resolve. Resolve from the people of God, because it would have been way easier just to quit and go home. It required courage from the people of God, because now they were risking their lives and they had to be ready to fight. And it required some sacrifice of them. I mean, they were already staying up late, giving of their time and their talents and all of these other things. And now it required even more, even more of that. But what he did not allow is he did not allow the precautions to become the preoccupation. If there's one thing I want for you to take away from today, it's that. Let's never allow the precautions to protect the work of God to become the preoccupation. All right? It would have been super easy for Nehemiah to set up all of these guards, all of these things, and say, hey, look, we've got half the wall built. That's pretty good. All right? These people are going to come at us, so let's just protect what we have. And let's forget about the fact that the reason we came here in the first way, place was to build the entire wall. They could have retreated, but they didn't. They set a guard, and then in verse 15, we see God's faithfulness. Here's what happens. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. 
They kept some precautions in place. They worked with swords on their sides, said. They had a couple guards set up, but guess what? They kept building. They kept up the work of God. So there's going to be times where we face real threats as a church. All right, I know missionaries. They have to take real precautions. They have to be careful about what they say, when they say it, to whom they say it. They have to be careful where they gather. They have to be careful what kinds of things they wear, what language they speak. They have to be super, super careful because if they're not, they, their family, the flock that they're serving could all be rounded up and killed. There are places in the world where that is an actual threat. We do face some real threats. Yes, I know sometimes you have to take precautions at your job with how you share the gospel. I get it. Otherwise, you'd be fired and you don't have any opportunity to reach those people with the gospel message. Sometimes you have to take precautions, but at some point, you have to be willing to say, I'm going to trust the Lord and do the work anyway. So do not, do not, do not let the precautions become the preoccupation. So they start working again. They start building. And then I'm going to spoil it for you. Sorry, TJ. In a few weeks, you're going to see the wall gets built. They finish the work. And there's more that happens in between. But they finish the work. God is faithful. God is faithful. He delivers his people. He is steadfast. Not only in Nehemiah's time, but right now too. If we are faithful to do the work, he will be faithful to see it come to fruition. You know, in Matthew 24, 14, Jesus is speaking of the end times, and he says this. He says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then, and then the end will come. The mission that God has given us is already certain. The work is already done. Jesus has come. The forgiveness of sins has come to the world. And he's already said, this gospel, it's going to the ends of the earth. And now he's invited you and me to be the carriers of that, which just blows my mind. Just blows my mind. And you want to know what else? In Matthew 16, 18, earlier on, here's what he has to say about us carrying out that work. He's talking to Peter, and Peter has just got done confessing, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. And here's what he says, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, speaking of Peter's confession that Jesus is Lord, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And guess what? They never have and they never will. He is faithful from the beginning 
to the end, and the gates of hell have never prevailed against the church. They have never prevailed against the gospel. They cannot because Jesus won. He won. And he saved you and me. And we are now in his family. And he will never let the gates of hell prevail against you. Even in death, the gates of hell cannot hold you. Because he has won. So stay focused. Oh, stay focused. For 2,000 years, the church and the mission of Christ has been faithfully carried out by the brothers and sisters. If you want some encouragement, I would, I would strongly, you know, sometimes I think, and I'm not, obviously I'm not dissing reading the Bible. Good grief. Don't hear that at all. Um, sometimes I think that we, we kind of stop at the end of Acts. That, that, that ended like 80 AD. You realize that, right? That was like 2,000 years ago. Have you ever thought about the fact that, that there's 2,000 years of church history in between? It's not all pretty. Oh, certainly not. <laughs> right? There's definitely times where, where, where the church became preoccupied, but there was always a remnant. Always a remnant of faithful saints, of brothers and sisters carrying the gospel message. And because of that, you and I heard it. How did the gospel get from a small town in the Middle East to a big town in the middle of Missouri? Only by the faithful carrying out of the gospel message over centuries of the church and the faithfulness of God. And now God is asking us to continue because the wall's not built. It's halfway up. We're taking a lot of heat. We've got a lot of things coming at us. We've had to take precautions. But the work isn't done. The work isn't done. Hmm. We get an opportunity to stay focused. We get an opportunity to carry out the work. But you're not on your own. See, Jesus gave you, me, the church, the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit has given you everything you need. No matter who you are, no matter your position, no matter your talents, it's given you everything you need to be a person that can carry the gospel message to your coworkers, to your neighborhood, wherever. Two weeks ago, God started to convict me to start doing something. It was after one of TJ's messages. And, uh, and so I just, I, I went back to my work and I started thinking, gosh, am, am I, am I really laboring here? I've been there a year. Am I really laboring in my workplace? So I, I printed off, we've got these little call sheets. Andy here will know what I'm talking about. We've got these little call sheets at work. And it has every single person that works in the company um, on the list. So I just simply took that, and I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to set an alarm five times a day. I've got five alarms throughout my work day. When it goes off, I just pray for the next person on the list, just down the list, by name. If I don't know them very well, I says, God, if they don't know you, would you please bring them to know you? If I do know them well, I know some specific prayer needs that they have, I pray for them. Sometimes I even go ask them, which I know is kind of weird. Hey, how can I be praying for you? 
You know, I, I know that's awkward. I get it. In some places, that might even be offensive. So take some precautions. I, I understand that. But they can't stop you from laboring for the kingdom. Pray. That's not nothing. That's a whole lot. And as I've done that, my heart for those people that I'm praying for has grown. And I've had gospel conversations more in the last two weeks than I've had in the last 50 weeks. Because I'm faithfully praying and the Lord is faithful. Then I'm asking God, save this person. And if you can use me, do it. And guess what? Bam, I'm having a conversation with him about something where the gospel comes up where faith comes up. It's really, really incredible. Shouldn't be that surprising, yet it surprises me every time. Just how faithful God is. Garrett's going to come up. And as he comes up, I just want to give an encouragement here. You know, Harrison and Alex and I were talking. And just to share another example, they, they've recently moved into a new neighborhood. And if you don't know who Harrison and Alex are, they're... Uh, they're usually here, and if you see them in the next couple of weeks, you should give them a, a chat about this. But they recently moved into a neighborhood, and uh, they have been faithful to start prayer walking in their neighborhood. And they don't even know all the names. They don't have the, the, the little sheet like I do. They're starting to learn those names. But they're going around their neighborhood, and they're praying faithfully for the people in their neighborhood. As they get to know them, they can pray more specifically for them. And guess what? As they've prayed, people have randomly walked out of their house and started talking to them. And about like deep stuff. About stuff that's going on in their life that they probably haven't told anybody in a long time. And Harrison and Alex, are they able then to take that, speak the gospel message into that, and pray for them? See, he cares even more about the work of saving people than you or I do. He loves your desk mate at work, the one who complains all the time. Yeah, he loves that one. He does. He loves that boss that uses every bad work in the book and, and, and just really makes your life harder than it needs to be. He loves the neighbor who flies that flag that, man, just really you don't agree with and kind of gets under your skin. He loves the house down the street that is the trouble house, you know, the one that all your neighbors are talking about. And you're even tempted to think poorly of from time to time because there's all these strange people coming and going and it's a little shady. Yeah, he, he loves that house too. He loves those people. He does. He loves the mom in that mom group that up, shows up just stressed out of her mind every week and kind of hair kind of all over the place. And guess what? He also loves the mom in that same group that shows up perfectly clean every week too and just kind of makes you sick to your stomach because she never has any problems with her kids. Her makeup's always done. And you're just like, How? You know, he, he loves that one too. He loves the doctor. He loves the lawyer. He loves the drug dealer. He loves the politician, the school teacher, the janitor, the homeless man on the street. He loves the cynic. He loves the optimist, the Democrat, the Republican, the independent, the libertarian, the Muslim, the Jew, the Arab, the white guy, the black guy, the racist uncle, the zealous Antifa member. He loves the communist, the abuser, the adulterer, the drunk, the coke addict, the college grad, the high school dropout. He loves the adoptee, the foster child, the estranged child, the estranged parent. He loves the single mom, the divorcee, the couple that's been married for 60 years, the handicapped, the paraplegic, the gay man, the lesbian, the trans person, the straight person, the preacher, the church member, the unchurched person, and the, you. 
the one, the one in this congregation who I'm sure is sitting there feeling like a fake and just really hoping that no one finds out who you really are. He loves you too. He died for you. He died for me. He died for us. This is the mission work we get to carry out. We get to carry out that message that he loves you so much that he came and gave of himself to bring glory to God and salvation to you. Guys, this work is not a duty. This work is a joy. Do you get that? You and I were sinners. We were lost. He redeemed us. He saved us. He gave us a new identity. We're not called any of those things anymore. Those aren't our labels. And then he said, now join me. Join me, follow me, carry out this work. And you know what? Even in the face of opposition, which is going to come your way, if you keep faithfully pursuing me and if you keep faithfully doing the work, I will be faithful to bring about the gospel work of saving sinners. Faithful he has been and faithful he will be. He's not going to leave you. He'll do his work. You get to be part of it. He's going to work ahead of you, behind you, with you, and in you to finish it. Let's worship this God.